Theology of the Body Institute. This is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome back to Ask Christopher West with Wendy in the house. Wendy's here again today. I am still pinching myself that I get to do this with you, my love. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I was filled with emotion at the record at the end of the recording of our first episode because yeah. I, I just it all welled up like twenty years of leaving you to do this work. Yeah, and the feeling of I'm leaving my wife again to do mm. this work, and here I'm doing my work, but I'm doing it with you. It is that's really nice. Yeah, really nice. That's pretty dang cool. Yeah. I'm so happy to share my wife, Wendy, with everybody out there listening. So we have gathered. I don't know what the questions are. So my wife kind of calls these questions. Yeah, I'm looking them over. Mm-hmm. And you found a theme that we're going to be talking here about today. So why don't you share what yeah. that is? So thank you again to all of you that have sent questions for us to discuss. I hope you in, are benefiting from the answer, but also many others who are listening will benefit there were several questions that had to do with adolescence. And so just before we jump into your questions, I had a question for you, my love, okay. about your own adolescence. Um, if there was a movie that you really loved as an adolescent that you could tell us about and why. Well, my wife knows I'm a movie buff. Movies have oh, meant yeah. a great deal to me throughout my life. Uh, I remember sitting in Star Wars for the first time when I was seven years old. This is not my answer to the question. Okay. I'm just framing it, how, how important movies were to me. Okay. Seven, I was almost eight years old when I saw Star Wars in the summer of 1977. And I, I was taken to another world. I was taken to another planet. It just rocked my world. I got Star Wars wallpaper. I had all the Star Wars action figures. I had Star Wars socks, Star Wars sheets. I had... Everything was Star Wars. Just a little window into how important yes, movies, movies have always are been. Captivating. Yes. There is one I think of when I think of my my adolescence. Uh-huh. It was uh, I think I was in sixth grade. So how old are you in sixth grade? Twelve. Mm, Twelve. On Golden Pond when that movie came out, uh-huh. I was right at the kind of hitting puberty thing, and yeah. all the hormones are kicking in. I don't know what to do with them, and I'm. I'm beginning to understand life in a, a different way. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go to see the movie. On occasion, my family would go out on a family movie night. Right. And my dad really wanted to see On Golden Pond, and it sounded dumb to me, a bunch of old people right. in a cottage on a lake, whatever. <laughs> but it kind of, that was the family activity that weekend. And I remember just loving this movie. Right. It was my first kind of exposure to in-depth family dynamics and pain and the frustration of the teenage boy. Yeah, so there is a teenage yeah. boy in the movie, so that was an unexpected component yeah, for and you. Yeah, his, his whole thing and angst and rebellion and initially, and then that came became a real love for Norman on the lake, and Norman taught him how to fish. And Norman, who's the old guy. Norman's the old guy. Uh-huh. And I really, I really related to that movie, and we, remember, we just showed that to our kids over the summer. Yeah. And they all loved it. Yeah. We had some great family oh, reflections. We laughed. And yeah. we laughed. And even there's some getting choked up a little bit on some of the yeah. themes that were in the movie. That, that movie in many ways set the stage for me in my adolescence. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gave me, you know, I think I'm even piecing this together now, but you have 
the 13-year-old kid, and that's about the age I was when I saw it. Mm -hmm. And then you have Norman at 80, and that's the juxtaposition. And we're all going that direction. There's a lot of reflections. (laughs) It's funny funny because when I first saw the movie, I'm totally relating to the 13-year-old kid. And now when we recently saw the movie, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm closer to Norman. (laughs) Closer to that age, I think, than I am to 13, or at least that's the direction I'm headed in. I know I'm going... You know, yeah. the, the roller coaster has crested over the hill and I'm headed down. <laughs> so anyway, long-winded way of responding. Yeah. But it, it, that movie, movie meant a lot to me. Yeah, I, I realized that. And I think that's really neat. And there are themes, so many themes of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. There's Norman who has to recognize that he hasn't been a good father yeah. to his daughter. And, and yet is is trying to give something good even at this late stage of life to this 13-year-old boy who really needs it yeah. and doesn't know how to ask for it. So it's, yeah, it's got a lot of real and human Ethel's stuff. Ethel's love for Norman oh, is so the wife, yes. dear. She knows all his quirks and foibles and ridiculousness and all the things that drive everybody else crazy. Right, and she She's, loves him. She loves him. She yes. just loves him. It's so beautiful, yeah. really tender. It is. Well, shall I give you a yeah, question sure. now? Let's, do, let's jump okay. in. Okay, so this was an anonymous question. Uh, the questioner asks, what if I did not have a moral sexual life in my youth, but I'm trying to make my kids understand the importance of waiting, even though I didn't? Does that make me a hypocrite? Well, I could ask the same question of myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife knows very well. I was not uh, a virgin when I married. I had had a broken sexual past. And I've certainly you know, wrestled with those questions about presenting the truth to my kids. But I don't think we should get caught in this trap of thinking that because we made mistakes, that gives us no right to talk to our children about mistakes they should avoid. In fact, this is certainly the way I've tried to present it to our kids, and we've had lots and lots of conversations mm-hmm. with our kids about these things, uh, that I'm speaking from experience when I talk about the pain and the wounds yeah. that are inflicted when we make wrong choices with our sexuality. This is not abstract for this questioner. So this questioner is saying, because I made the mistakes, does this disqualify me? Absolutely no. Mm-hmm. You have hard evidence and experience from your mm. own life. Does this make you a hypocrite? Well, it it would if you didn't understand that it actually caused you pain. If you were thinking, no, I'm kind of glad I made those choices, but I don't want my kids to do it. Well, then you'd be a hypocrite. Yeah. But if you can honestly say, I made these mistakes. Here's what I've had to work through. Here's the pain I've had to work through in my life because of it. Mm-hmm. I would love to spare you that then there's no cause for any concern of hypocrisy or any such thing. Right. Yeah, in fact, it may hopefully add credibility to what you're sharing with your children. I, I, will, I will share this, too, that you know, at different ages and stages, you can have different levels of conversations with your children, mm-hmm. obviously. But I think we owe our children the truth. You don't have to give them all the details of your past, but I think... We owe them the truth. I remember my father was not so forthright or honest with me about things he had gone through. And I I resented him for that. I Mm. wish he had been, I wish he had been more honest about what his real struggles and questions were. It just was kind of off limits. 
Right. And so it didn't create an atmosphere where I felt I could really go to him with real struggles and questions I was having because I was not expecting he was going to be honest with me because I knew he hadn't been honest with me. Yeah. That's important, too. What struck me there when I saw that question is that 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 could be sort of, um, you know, a voice trying to keep you from sharing Mm -hmm. the truth, Mm -hmm. that questioning, well, who am I to say? You know, who am I to suggest this when I don't didn't actually do it myself, didn't have the strength, whatever you want to say that makes you seem like um, you're disqualified. So I think, you know, the Lord always wants to speak truth to our hearts and help us to recognize the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we've received and the gift that it is, as you're saying, to recognize the, the bad fruit in our lives of those choices, that that is something the Lord wants us to share with our children. That's yes. part of the gift we now bring to them. Yeah, you bring up a very important point. Whose voice is that saying you shouldn't, you're disqualified from speaking to your children because you didn't right. live? Whose voice is that? Yeah. We, we really can learn to discern these voices and where they come from. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of smell right away that that is not the voice of your heavenly father saying you're disqualified. That's some other voice trying to prevent you from bearing fruit in, in your children's lives. Yeah, absolutely. So your children will be blessed and already are blessed that you're asking this question and opening your honest insecurities to the Lord and looking for wisdom and, um, to move forward in that all important aspect of your relationship with your children. So keep going. Bless you. Here's a question from Maria that uh, she submitted on Facebook. She asks, how can a mother help talk and pray with her 15-year-old daughter who identifies as a lesbian? Okay, wow. Yeah, these are, these are difficult, difficult questions. Uh, when I say, I don't mean difficult in, as in how am I going to answer it, but difficult issues that parents face. Yes. Difficult life realities. Here, a simple answer here, the very simple, much more could be said, and we can say more, unpack it. But every wound in our life comes from lack of love. Every wound mm. comes from lack of love. Uh, not being loved rightly or being unloved or uh, being loved with a false love. Uh, So what's the healing? What's the healing? If the wound comes from lack of love, the healing is always going to be coming through love. Mm. Raises a big question, what is love? And I think we have a tendency in the world today to separate love from truth. Or think if someone's going to find the truth difficult, then it would be unloving to share it. And I think that wound comes from, understandably, a tendency in the church and maybe in a lot of people's families in previous generations where truth might have been used as a weapon. Truth might have been used... Okay, so let's just back up and say the truth I'm talking about in this context is it is not God's plan for a woman to be erotically involved with another woman. That's not God's plan. That's a truth. But in in days past, and maybe even sometimes today too, uh, 
people will use that truth in a way that's very unloving. Mm-hmm. We'll take that truth and use it kind of as a hammer, uh, use it as a way of condemning people or shaming people. And so then we go to the other extreme. We know that's not right. We have a gut reaction. Something's not right with that. So we can go to the other extreme and discard the truth in favor of a love disconnected from the truth, which just brings maybe warm and happy feelings, but it's not doing justice to the truth. Right. So how do we speak the truth in love? When truth is divorced from love, it's untruthful. And when love is divorced from truth, it's unloving. Your dear, dear daughter has a deep question in her heart about who is she? Yeah. What does it mean to be a woman? Every daughter has that question, just as every son has the question, who am I and what does it mean to be a man? Mm-hmm. And the world is bombarding us with all kinds of messages and images and ideas that can make it very, very difficult to come to terms with who I am as a man or as a woman. So I would say to that dear mother with her dear daughter to enter into patient, loving, non-judgmental, non-shaming dialogue so that her daughter knows this is a safe place where I can share my real heart. And I'm not going to be shamed. I'm not going to be scolded. And within that context, with, from that foundation of establishing, hey, I'm broken too, I have questions too, I'm struggling too with questions about what it means to be a woman. To begin with, with that place of humility uh, can begin a, a journey of accompanying your daughter right where she is that does not compromise what is true and does not shut her down out of fear that she'll be judged or shamed. Yeah. That's really true. That I think what you're getting at in part is that her daughter really needs to feel connected with her mother, needs to feel that her mother's on her side. Yes, yes. In order to be able to be helped. And sometimes, you know, with a teenager, that can be difficult. You know, they can have a lot of resistance to believing their parents are on their side. So, it can involve being not saying something when you feel you are wanting to say something because you're you're tuning into what would kind of cut off the relationship and you don't want you don't want that to happen and i think you know the talking about praying how can i pray i think really um the lord can when we are um able to sit and just ask him to reveal things to us, to not think of our prayers only as telling him our requests, but asking him to also show us something. Um, Can I interject here? Yeah. Because you have such a gift here with our children. I've marveled at it, Wendy, how you, you know, my approach when one of our kids comes to us with something is to kind of talk it to death, Mm -hmm. and that can sometimes have our children just shut down. Uh, why are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that is a knowing laugh. But you, you on the other hand, our kids come to us with a, a problem. And your, your general disposition, not that you don't also talk things through with our kids, but your, your first disposition is typically to pray mm-hmm. and listen. Mm-hmm. And you've had many, many experiences of taking something 
to prayer for one of our kids, and really you feel the Lord speaking into it, into your heart. Yeah, that's what I wanted to share about, is that um, the prayer, when we're asking the Lord to show us how how to love this child or, or what is going on here in, in my child's heart, in my child's story, um, that it can really deepen our prayer when we have some sense of what is the real heart of the matter for this child. Um, and that's unique to the person. Mm-hmm. So it would be silly for us to say, oh, your daughter identifies as a lesbian. Well, her problem is this yes, or that. Right. And anybody who wants to tell you that, you know, is is not seeing that your daughter is unique. Is a person. And yet the Lord knows her unique, unrepeatable person. And so I think it can be a great help that what your first question was about, how can I pray? So I really want to encourage you that asking the Lord to reveal to you how you can pray specifically for her um, because he knows her perfectly, I think will bear great fruit in that we have had those experiences as well with in our parenting. It gives you a patience with some of the outward behaviors that are very frustrating when the Lord has shown you the deeper things that are going on in the person's life and heart. It just, it gives compassion and patience and helps us to kind of have our eye on the more important goal. I love, just point, I'm going to point this out. I love that you caught caught on that in the question, she's asking, how can I pray? Mm -hmm. And notice how I just jumped immediately into the other aspect, which is important too, but it's a, it's reveals your heart that you you noticed that word pray. How do I pray for my daughter? Mm-hmm, I kind of mm-hmm. skipped over that and went right to the other part of the question. That's kind of the way I'm wired. That's why it's good that we're both on this podcast. That's, that's absolutely. And you know, what? I'm reminded <laughs> I'm reminded of something we said in our last episode that we have learned from John Paul II's theology of the body that we've really taken to heart is your daughter is desiring something good. Yes in a disordered way, right? There's there's a good in her heart, a good desire that has gotten distorted. Mm-hmm. And if you can remember that as her mother, uh, then you can always find, even in something distorted, there's some element of truth that can be affirmed and should be affirmed and called out so that whatever might be twisted up in your daughter's heart, we all have stuff in our hearts that are twisted up, st- things in our hearts that are twisted up, uh, that she, she can know that you are on her side, again, as Wendy said, and you're not trying to keep something from her. You're not trying to prevent her from living a, a life of, of joy and happiness, but your deepest desire is that she would live that life of joy and happiness. I'm going to go on to another question now. Uh, this was received on Facebook from Zita. Zita asks, How can girls with bad father figures know what healthy desire is? when all they've seen is bad examples. So when I read this question, I thought, um, I'm not sure, Zita, whether she means a healthy masculine desire mm-hmm. or a healthy feminine desire. Not that it's so different, but I'm not, I, you know, maybe we need to explore both, both since I'm yeah. not sure which she's asking here. Very few in today's world are raised with really healthy examples of strong, vibrant, integrated, chaste sexual desire. 
so few. Uh, so, dear Zita, you are not alone in this. In some ways, we're all in the same boat because even if you had really wonderful parents, nobody has perfect parents. No. They're all broken, right? We all are raised with broken parents. So, mm -hmm. as I often say, the term dysfunctional family is redundant <laughs> in this fallen world. We all, to one degree or another, we all have dysfunctional families. And I also want to recognize Zita's pointing out that her heart recognizes the need. Mm -hmm. And that demonstrates that these truths are in us. They're wired in us. Um, we can have really bad examples, and feeling the pain of that is the recognition that it's not meant to be this way. There's, there's something in my heart that longs for something more. Mm -hmm. I just want to affirm that in you, Zita, that, that is, that's the image of God in you. That's the, the cry of your heart for your heavenly Father and for your blessed Mother. This is the good news that has unfolded in our lives in very, very dramatic ways that we can be reparented in our interior lives through God our Father and Mary, our mother. Mm -hmm. This is real. Mm -hmm. This is real. And I think the, the closest example we have, next to Jesus himself, as he grew into manhood, uh, the closest example we have on planet Earth of God the Father is the love of Joseph. So mm -hmm. we, can, we can really become, and this is, this is bedrock, solid, biblical vision of what it means to be a Christian. We get regenerated. Yes. Right? We, we are regenerated. We, not of a husband's seed, as the scripture says, but to be a Christian means we are regenerated by the invisible, eternal, immortal seed of God. Just as Jesus was generated in Mary's womb by, the, by God the Father, by this virginal, eternal seed, in our baptism, we enter into that same mystery. And this means Jesus becomes our brother, Mary becomes our mother, and also, in a way, we can, we can recognize that Joseph becomes our father. Mm -hmm. we, can, we are members of the Holy Family. Mm -hmm. And as we bring our pain from not being parented well or being parented by very broken human beings, as we open that pain up in our journey of prayer, we really can be re-fathered and re-mothered. I can share many experiences, but this one's coming to my mind. Uh, I had a memory, this was maybe 10 years ago, I'm just working through stuff, painful things in our marriage where I'm seeing my dysfunction and where did this come from and working it through with you and working it through with uh, my spiritual director and uh, receiving good counsel on it that I, I recognized, okay, this comes from ways I was parented that was not healthy. And I remember a very particular memory, I was probably 14 years old and I was going through a very, very strong sexual temptation as a 14-year-old boy. And I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know where to take it. I didn't know what I, I ended up indulging in a very disordered way. And, and this memory is coming back to me in my prayer. I'm like, Lord, what do I do with this? What do I do? What was I supposed to have done with mm -hmm. it? I didn't have anybody to father me through this. What should I have done with it? And right in the middle of the memory, Joseph shows up. Right in the middle of memory, Joseph walks into it. Wow. And I say to him, what am I supposed to do with all this stuff in me? And this was the sense of it. 
Mary was there and she was pregnant with Jesus. And Joseph just kept pointing to her womb. Just kept pointing to her womb. Wow. Bring it all here, he said. All the pain in your heart, all the dysfunction, all the questions, bring it all here. Mm. And I think, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I can't bring it there because that's the immaculate one. And this is all kind of just garbage and junk and messed up stuff in my heart. And Joseph kept pointing, bring it here. And then Mary looks at me and she's like, this is where you bring it. This is where you bring it. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 this doesn't work. And then Mary like chimes in. So I'm being reparented in wow. this memory. Mm-hmm. Have I not shared this with you? Do you not know this story? I'm not remembering oh, it. Wow. Okay, revelations to my own wife here. Um, so I'm, I'm being reparented in this moment, and, and I'm like scared to death that, that uh, I'm going to do something that profanes the mystery of the Blessed Mother because I'm so broken and she's so holy. And then so Mary kind of chimes in, and she, she goes, and, you know, I'm hearing this all in the, it's not like a, an audible voice, but I'm hearing it in my heart. And Mary says, well, where are you supposed to take your sin and brokenness? Mm-hmm. I said, to the confessional. And she says, yes, of course. And she says, who's in the confessional? And I said, oh, Jesus. Yeah, in persona Christi. The, pers- the person of the priest is in, pers- in the person of Christ. I know my theology. Yeah, it's Jesus in the confession. <laughs> and then Mary says, who's in my womb? I'm like, oh, geez. Oh. And then Mary says, my womb is the confessional. Hmm. It was a, such an eye-opener change the direction oh. of how I deal with Mm-hmm. junk in my life. I just call it now for shorthand in my own spiritual life. I call it, I'm going to the confessional of Mary's womb. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's where I take all my crap. That's where I take all my junk. That's where I take all my brokenness. That's where I take all my disordered desires because the fire of divine love is in Mary's womb. Mm-hmm. And this is really, it's, De Montfort, it's a principle that de Montfort himself talks about. St. Louis de Montfort says we're to put all of our base metals, and that's an image for our brokenness and sinfulness. Okay. We put all of our base metals in Mary's womb because the fire of divine love is in there, and that fire of divine love, which is Jesus, will melt down all those base metals and turn it into gold. Wow. So this is, this is just a story of how we can really and truly be reparented within the holy family. Yeah. I think one of the things I'm hearing you describe is is a prayer where you have a sense that someone's listening to what I'm saying and responding. I'm not just speaking. I'm being heard. Yes. And, yes. and it I have a place to take it where someone's really, really listening to me and has something to give me in re, you know, in reply. And so I think that's a beautiful image of, of relationship in prayer, relationship. So I think that's, that's an excellent help to us because we're talking about hurting relationships in our families. Maybe we could talk into that because I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. John Paul II says that prayer is meant to be a dialogue of love. Mm-hmm. And that means a two-way communication. You remember when we had that retreat together uh, with Monsignor John 12 or 13 years ago now. Yeah. Uh, and he, he traveled here. We were going through some hard times yes. in our marriage, mm-hmm. and he came here, and we had a, a few days of retreat yes. with him. Mm-hmm. And he was really challenging me to listen for God's voice in prayer. Mm-hmm. 
and I've been so misled thinking I heard God when I wasn't hearing God or just wounded by people who kind of too casually say, oh, God said to me, da, 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 and or God told me th- this about you, and I've been wounded by those pe- by people who just take that idea that God's speaking to them maybe a little too casually. Mm-hmm. So I kind of shut down this place in my heart. I wasn't really listening. I'd go to, I'd like, I mean, I tried to pray, but usually it was just me talking, right. or I'd read scripture. It was genuine. I wanted to really learn. But this priest was challenging me, no, your father loves you, and he wants to speak to you, and he will speak to you in a way that you can hear. But it's an it's kind of like an art. You have to learn how to tune into it. Or it's like a, a radio dial where you mm-hmm. have to tune in the station. You're hearing static. And then you kind of hear a little song in there. And, <laughs> and if you learn the art of tuning in, you can really begin to to hear the voice of the Lord. It's not easy. And it's, it's, it is an, an art that takes time. Uh, and I, nobody does it perfectly. And you can never say with absolute certainty, infallibly, I know this was the voice of God. But you begin to, you begin to recognize the way the Lord speaks. Mm-hmm. And another priest who's very dear to us, Father Jim, he, he always says to us, the Lord will speak to you in the language of your own heart. So it might be songs that speak to your heart. It might be memories. It might be images from your favorite TV shows or your favorite movies that come to your heart. Uh, so that could be a whole podcast that we do is questions on how do we hear God in prayer. But I, I wanted just to throw out to this, uh, is it Zeta? Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to throw out to you, Zeta, this this hopeful path of learning to hear the voice of the Lord in yeah. a dialogue of love mm-hmm. that you really and truly can be reparented. Uh, but Wendy, you you recently shared with me that Sometimes you feel in prayer that it's more you talking than God mm-hmm. talking. So, I mean, we're not sitting here as the pros who have figured this all out. We have our own ongoing struggles with it. But do you have any light you want to shine on this? I think uh, one of the things that was striking me as you were you know, talking about that specific memory of that yeah. prayer was how hopeful it is just to have a clear image that what you are talking to someone. And when you talked about taking your junk to the confessional of Mary's womb, for example, like that that kind of physical destination Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of something, sort of your your junk meaning your sinful past, it's almost like it became sort of like something you're holding and carrying somewhere. Even though these things are, you know, in prayer, I think, you know, our physicality as people, like those images are really helpful to say, I have a place to go. And and the image may be different for another person, but but to look for that, that prayer is not just you know, going out into the universe. That's but right. It's going, That's right. It's going somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. I think that was really striking to me. And I also just thought in, in response to Zita's question, when she talked about healthy desire and, and bad father figures, I was thinking also about how in your life you felt like, well, you, you gave two examples without really saying it, that Father John and Father Jim have both kind of been fathers. Yes. Also, they I mean, they, we call them father. Absolutely. That another person in in both of our lives that's been a father to us is is Pope John Paul II, 
and just what a gift it has been when we read his uh, writings or, you know, listen to things he said, the way that he speaks to specific real experiences that we have as human beings in a loving way, in a way that calls out the good in us instead of condemning the bad, but calling out the good. Amen. um, I think that that, you know, was a huge help for you. And I, I think one of the things he does talk about is healthy desire and, you know, that phrase, my sister, my bride, for example, is such a contrast with some unhealthy male behavior that is reducing women um, to, you know, objects, to body parts, to images that are unreal and inhuman. So I don't know if you want to just say anything sure. about what he what he meant Thank by you that. for calling that to mind. So John Paul II, in his reflections on the Song of Songs, has this beautiful meditation on why the bridegroom says, you are my sister, before he says bride. Yeah. You are my sister, my bride. It's very important to John Paul II that he says sister first. Mm-hmm. The word sister, he says, uh, helps us to know that his intention, when he calls her bride, is not one of lust. You don't lust after your sister. You certainly shouldn't be anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain Obviously, there are tragedies where lust can go in any direction, but uh, you are my sister first. Wendy, you're my sister. We've kind of taken to calling one another brother and sister because we learned it from John Paul II. And that can seem weird, seem weird to people, right? Just to plop that out there. But I delight in calling you my sister because it connects us in a common humanity. Mm -hmm. And that's what John Paul II says. That term sister connects the lovers in a common humanity. Mm -hmm. To recognize you as my sister means we have the same heavenly father. Uh, We share a common humanity. We are equal in dignity as persons. It becomes a foundation for our husband-wife relationship to to flower in a way, not that we've done it perfectly, God knows, and we know we haven't. Uh, but it gives us a context and a foundation in which to to have our love be something that brings peace and deep security mm-hmm. rather than just pain and frustration. We've yes. had plenty of that too, but we're growing like anybody in, in that deeper reality of, of love. I have a little funny thing to share, which I don't know if many of our listeners know this, but Christopher and I have the same birthday. <laughs> uh Three, yes, year, three years apart, but we have the same birthday. And that has a history for us <laughs> when we learned that we had the same birthday. And uh, at the time, I had, you know, I was very attracted to Christopher. And knowing that we had the same birthday was a huge gift to me because it made me feel very connected to him. So this is when we were getting to know each other yeah, in yeah, college yeah, years. Yeah. When yeah. we were, whatever, we were in our early 20s. Yeah. It also gave me an excuse to remember his birthday without him figuring out that I was interested in him. Because, of course, I remembered it was his birthday because it was my birthday, too. So I could have a reason to, you know, wish him a happy birthday. One year I even made a homemade birthday card for him. I remember it. That was 1993 or four. Three. 1993, yeah. you made that birthday yeah, card. Yeah, so um, that's kind of funny. But another effect that it's had on on us, I think, is that it kind of makes us 
feel a little like siblings, you yeah. know, that shared birthday, like, because yeah. you, you celebrate your birthday as growing up with your siblings. And so the fact that we were both celebrating birthday on the same day, it just... There's it, even a little twin connotation in there, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just a little side comment about the, the my sister, my bride being kind of a special, it has a, a deep thing in our hearts because of that fun connection we have having the same birthday. You know, I sure am enjoying sharing these reflections and thoughts with you, my love, yeah. with our listeners. If you have a question you would like us to address on the Ask Christopher West show, please go to askchristopherwest.com. Give us your question. You'll also see the show notes there. And please give us a review. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. We're also inviting you to consider taking a free course with us online. Now, I say us. I'm the teacher of that free online course. Mm-hmm. But my wisdom is always being drawn from my dear wife. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So go to askchristopherwest.com forward slash free course. Free course. And you'll learn more about that deep question Jesus asks in the gospel. What do you want? So important we get in touch with our desires. This is what this is all about. Thanks for being our faithful listeners out there. Until next time, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. The Ask Christopher West podcast comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Ba da da da, 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 ba da